0: Okay, uh, this morning I'm just gonna, I'm going to read, um, I'm going to read from First Corinthians, and I'm going to read from the Amplified Bible, and and just use the time instead of going into the particular Greek words so that we can get the full picture about about what is being said. I'm just going to read through, and usually I don't I don't usually read through this much scripture but I'm just led to do that uh this morning. And this is 1 Corinthians. Now, we know about the church of uh of Corinthians. Corinth was obviously it was in Greece and it was uh one of the uh local assemblies. It was a local assembly and that Paul had taught and and found certain individuals there uh, to to have that uh, be formed so this is we're going to see some amazing truth here now this is first Corinthians okay well this is amazing right here when you when we get to see this uh, and, and the way that it is but in first Corinthians uh, chapter two and you you can on your own as God leads, you can read the first the first chapter, uh, which is really amazing, to to bring us to the second chapter. There's thirty one verses in the first chapter, but this is this is uh, chapter two, verse one of First Corinthians. He said, "As for myself, brethren, when I came to you, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony." and evidence or mystery and secret of God concerning what he has done through Christ for the salvation of men in lofty words or eloquence of human philosophy and wisdom. And that can be a problem like today. There's so much, even in translations, certain translations now that are coming out, and so many are coming out, but, but the problem with them is, is that you mix philosophy with the Word of God, and God never does that, never. He never mixes philosophy with the Word of God, which is wisdom, and we know that wisdom is Christ. Verse 2 says, For I resolved to know nothing, to be acquainted with nothing, to make a display of the knowledge of nothing, and to be conscious of nothing among you, except Jesus Christ, the Messiah, and him crucified. And I was in, passed into a state of weakness and fear, dread, and great trembling after I had come among you. And my language and my message were not set forth in persuasive, enticing, and plausible words of wisdom But they were in demonstration of the Holy Spirit and power, a proof by the Spirit and power of God operating on me and stirring me in the minds of my hearers, the most holy emotions, and thus persuading them, so that your faith, your absolute dependence, your absolute dependence in and on Christ might not rest in the wisdom of men, which again is, when it says human philosophy, we just know that is the mind of man under the influence and control of Satan through his worldly system and through his demonic army. Verse 6 says, Yet when we were among the full-grown, spiritually mature Christians who are ripe in understanding, we do impart a higher wisdom, the knowledge of the divine plan previously hidden, but it is indeed not a wisdom of this present age or of this world, nor of the leaders and rulers of this particular age that are under the world and under Satan's control who are being brought to nothing and are doomed to pass away. But rather, and pass away, there just simply means it's not annihilationism. It's just that they're gonna they're gonna pass away, in terms of being in hell, and then ultimately in the lake of fire, and so doomed to pass away with that whole world system. So in First John two, and First John two, and verse seventeen, that whole world and the things of the world in two fifteen are on their way to pass away, and to be done to be done away with, not in terms of extinction but having nothing to do with Christ and God's ultimate fulfillment of his plan. Verse 7 says, "But rather what we are setting forth is a wisdom of God once hidden, once hidden from the the human understanding, now to be revealed to us by God." That wisdom which God devised and decreed before the ages, before time ever began. This is going into eternity for our glorification to lift us into the glory of his presence. And this is the importance of having known positional truth, yet how that has to enter into our experience. And that's what we had to experience now because God has fitted us with this eternal life to understand and be in a place in Christ, to understand those eternal things that weren't revealed until this present age that we are in right now. Verse 8. None of the rulers of this age, presently, right now, the rulers of this age, the demonic army under Satan, manifested through unsaved men, and goes into the warfare that we're in in Ephesians 6, 10 to 18. None of the rulers of this age or world perceived and recognized and understood this. For if they had, they would never have crucified the Lord of glory, but separated from all of that, separated from human wisdom under the under the prince and power of the air in Ephesians two two, the God of this world, the prince in John twelve, thirty-one and fourteen thirty. But on the contrary, separated from that contrast and separation, on the contrary, as the Scripture says, "What eye has not seen, and ear has not heard, and has not entered into the heart of man?" And we said, "The heart there, heart there is where men store up in a particular place what they value and treasure the most." That's brought out in Matthew six nineteen to twenty-one, right through the twenty-fourth verse. It has not entered into the heart of man, and that's his mind where the will stores up those things and that possibly and and potentially uh, can't be and aren't of Christ. All that God has prepared, made, and keeps ready. Notice that. Keeps ready for those who love him. He is just so ready to give us these things and and to bring them into uh, this affectionate love that nothing can disturb or distract. For those who love Him, those that return His love, through through receiving it, through receiving it and having it, in, in terms of obedience to give back to Him, and that's the exchange of fellowship. See, there can't be fellowship outside the exchange of His love, which which His love reveals to us with the light of who His Son is, and that light comes out in purity. It keeps our fellowship very, very pure very pure, nothing added to it. Not human wisdom. And we're going to see here, not a carnal nature manifesting itself through the flesh that's in the believer, but that they're not of in Romans 8, 9. So again... But on the contrary, in 1 Corinthians 2.9, as the scripture says, what eye has not seen or ear heard and has not entered into the heart of man, all that God has prepared and made, made and keeps ready for those who love him. This is experiential truth. See, it's all ours positionally, but do we experience it? Or is something in the way? And of course, that would be the flesh. He must increase. You see, he must increase in John 3.30, but I must decrease. And that is the separating process in Hebrews 4, verse 12, so that in Romans 8, 1 through 8, we function in Christ, the law of the spirit of life that has made us free from the law of sin and death. That's happened positionally for us. But now what is to be our experience? And that's to be our experience, the separating, sanctifying process and we went into how Jesus said in his high priestly prayer in John 17, 17, sanctify them, set them apart through your truth, your word is truth, and even the fact that Jesus Christ himself in John 17, 19, separated himself so that he would be the source of our separation through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so this is what it's bringing out. It's for those who love him. Now listen to what it says. For those who love him, who hold him in affectionate reverence, promptly obeying him. Do we see how that works? Promptly obeying him and gratefully, thankfully. See, this goes into Ephesians 5 and verse 20. We can be thankful for all things because we're in him. Because he's in us. He's in us and that's why we're in him. And so we can be thankful for all things and in 1 Thessalonians five eighteen, be thankful in all things. Because he is just beautifully preparing us for our face-to-face meeting in 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 12. He's preparing us for that. And that again is brought out with the hidden manna and the white stone in Revelations 2 and verse 17. Do you see that those that promptly, promptly obeying him and gratefully recognizing the benefits he has bestowed, we will never recognize them or value them properly as long as the flesh is a functioning entity in us. And yet we've been separated from it positionally as far as God's concerned. Now he has to separate us from it. You see, and that's the, that's the principle of the types. You see, God took Israel out of the bondage of Egypt, the world system, under the, under the prince and leader of that world system in the type, Pharaoh. He brought them out. He died for them. And that's in Exodus 12, 1 through 13. And then the Red Sea. And so you have the Passover and the Red Sea. And those things speak of Christ dying for us. That's everything he's done for us positionally. That's what he's done, you see. And so what this brings out here is we all this that he has bestowed, all these benefits upon us. See, that is our proper place In our proper place, when we function in it, we have a proper image. See, only in the proper image that God has made and given us through Christ can we actually see Him in in the proper image that He is. This has nothing to do, and with any of us has nothing to do with the flesh. Doesn't have a single thing to do with it. You see, because the light that we are and we're called the children of light in First Thessalonians 5, 5 and in Ephesians 5 and verse 8 because we know that whatever, whatever does make manifest or discovers everything about us is light in Ephesians 5 and verse 13. We are of the light. And that light, of course, in John 8, 12, in, in John 1, verse 5, and in 1 John 1, verse 5, there's no darkness at all in it. See, the darkness that we've been delivered from, the enemy wants to have it appear again through the flesh. And of course, boy, we need to, and that's why it's brought out. Jesus himself said in John twelve, thirty-five and 36, while you have the light, receive it. It's really what it's saying, and it's instantly receive it and obey it. So you have a proper experience of a proper image of who you are. And then in that, you have a proper image of God and he's fed us out with those things he's given us the life eternal life that his son is in first john five eleven, so that we can see and experience the eternity and growth obviously of who the father is in himself in john 17 verses 2 and 3. it's eternal life and that eternal life it has to do with our image and so he says here then Again, that we may gratefully, in 1 Corinthians 2, 9, and and gratefully, and how do we do it gratefully? By promptly obeying. Not allowing the flesh in any area, any single area, you see, to enter into us or into our fellowship. And when is it not that we are, that Christ is our life? When is it not that he's our life? In Colossians 3, verse 4 has nothing to do with any of us, with any of the flesh that's in us, and that we're not of. And so that's what it says, promptly obeying him and gratefully recognizing the benefits he has bestowed upon us. That's eye is not seen. Again, it's Isaiah 64, 4, and it's Isaiah 65 and verse 17. But verse 10 in First Corinthians 2 says, Yet to us, not to all, to everyone who's in Christ positionally placed in him yes but not all that don't experience it through prompt obedience and thankfulness in thankfulness and we will see it again again this is this is God's loving protection for us it's nothing else it's not condemning anyone it's not accusing them but we see this even in we see it even in Ephesians the first a fifth chapter, and I'll just stop right and just read this. This is Ephesians 5, verse 1. Therefore, because of all that truth that's ours in the first three chapters of Ephesians, and because the place where we get, get all of that purity is the local assembly and how it should function, and how it even ends, and in, in, in how love is constantly bringing us back to purity through forgiveness. We see that in the 32nd verse of Ephesians 4. But Ephesians 5, verse 1, and there's no chapters and verses, it just flows in the original. Therefore, be imitators of God, copy Him and follow His example as well beloved children imitate their Father. And walk in love. Walk in love. Listen, if we walk in love, it was the light of who Christ is that, brought, that brings us into that. And light refuses to be mixed with anything. He will not, God will not allow the glory of his Son, who he is, what he's accomplished, for, for flesh to be mixed with it. It just won't happen. And the flesh that's in us is always, very subtle and treacherously, in competition with who Christ is in us. Very, very much so. Well, therefore be imitators, and walk in love, esteeming and delighting in one another, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a slain offering and sacrifice to God for you there's love again, God for us and be against us, Romans eight thirty one to thirty nine, for you so that it became a sweet fragrance. This is brought out in the types again, even in the margin there, in Ezekiel 20, uh, verse 41. But immorality, sexual vice, and listen, all impurity. That's the flesh. All impurity. You see, the flesh functions in approbation lust. What is approbation lust? Notice me. Look at me. Submit to me. See who I am in the flesh. You see. All impurity of lustful, rich, wasteful living or greediness must not even be named among you as is fitting and proper, this is place, among saints sanctified, set apart from the old and into the new. Now we have been set apart instantly when we receive Christ as our Savior, we were instantly set apart from the old and set into the new. Now that's being worked out in us progressively. And that's again the sanctifying process of John 3.30, he must increase but I must decrease. And so we see this as gods, among saints, gods consecrated, separated, sanctified people. Let there be no filthiness. Filthiness. Now here's the context now. Here's the context. Let there be no filthiness, obscenity, indecency, nor foolish and sinful, silly and corrupt talk, nor coarse jesting. You know, the flesh in us wants us, others, believers, to know them after the flesh. Where does that come from? Are we to know one another after the flesh? After the old in 2 Corinthians 5.16 and not the new in 5.17? To bring me down into a place where there's no fellowship? Oh, God forbid, and he does, sinful, corrupt talk, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting. They don't have to do with our place or becoming. But instead, voice your thankfulness to God. You know how I know I'm rightly related? You know how I know I'm experiencing His love? Because His love gives me the very sustenance, the very means, the very motive of thankfulness, which is being loved as opposed to everything about the flesh. You can see so you can follow it down through there. You can see it. But that's why it even says in Ephesians 4:27 okay, that give what? Leave no room, no such room or foothold for the devil. Give no opportunity to him. That's the flesh. That is the flesh. And and again very beautifully put. See, God loves us so much. The purity of his love. He wants us to experience it. The only way I can experientially is through the purity of the light that Christ is in us. That's, what, that's how it is. And then we can continue in that way. In a very beautiful way. So, again, that's what 1 Corinthians 2.9 is talking about. That's what it's talking about. But on the contrary, in 1 Corinthians 2.9, is Scripture, the very word that Christ is. In John 1.1, 1, 1, what eye has not seen, flesh, ear has not heard, the flesh, and has not entered into the heart. Because the flesh is there keeping Christ out in the room of proper experience. You see? And I see with you, and has not entered into the heart of man all that God has already prepared, made, and keeps ready for those that love him who hold him in affectionate reverence, promptly obeying him. And here it is, thankfully, gratefully, thankfully recognizing the benefits that he has bestowed. Yet to us, God has unveiled and revealed them by and through his Spirit. That's why the Bible teaches us and that's why God teaches us and why we know it this way, that God the Holy Spirit is the theologian and he's the proper scholar. Can I function in proper scholarship? Yes, by the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, Christ is the foundation. He's the substance, but to experience it, I still need power. And that power is the Holy Spirit. And that's why it says in Galatians 5 and verse 16, Walk in the Spirit under his rule and his guide. In John sixteen, thirteen, and 14. And then you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The first thing about us, when I leave the precious truths and benefits that Christ has given me, the instant I forget them, I will use them in the flesh for someone to make my flesh to be of something. Every single time. And yet we all have that in us, even though we're not of it. Yet God has, to us, has unveiled. Notice, unveiled, <laughs> and the, the enemy wants to veil over the truth about who we are, who we're of, so, and we, the veil is the flesh that, that's in us, but that we're not of. You see, we're not of that. Yet to us God has un- unveiled and revealed them by and through his Spirit, for the Holy Spirit searches diligently, exploring and examining everything. He's the only one that can do that even sounding the profound and bottomless things of God, the divine counsels and things hidden and beyond man's scrutiny. Way beyond any of us. For what person perceives, knows, and understands what passes through a man's thoughts, except the man, man's own spirit within him. Just so, no one discerns, comes to know and comprehend the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. He's the teacher. First John 2.20, we have the unction. First John 2.27, the Spirit knows all things. He knows all things about the Father, about the Son, about himself, and about us in Christ. He's the theologian, God, Theos. Logian, word. He takes the things of Christ. The word in John 1. 1. The word that, that, be, that was made flesh in John 1 and verse 14. He's the one that does that. Except the Spirit of God. Now, verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 2. Now we have not received the Spirit that belongs to the world. Where does that come in? The flesh. The flesh. Not that belongs to the world, but separated, here we go, Separate, separation and a contrast, a conjunction. But, what? The Holy Spirit who is from God, given to us, that we might realize and comprehend and appreciate experientially the gifts of divine favor and blessing so freely and lavishly bestowed on us by God. And we are setting these truths forth in words not taught by human wisdom, not taught through the flesh that's in us, but that we're not of. No. Nope. No. It's the treasure that's in the vessel in Second Corinthians 4 and verse 7. It's Christ himself. We're not setting forth these truths and words taught by human wisdom, but, but taught by the Holy Spirit, combining and interpreting spiritual truths with spiritual language to those who possess the Holy Spirit. And we know all those that are born again in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 3 are, are, possess Him because he, we have been possessed by Christ and now the Holy Spirit is free, hopefully, to reveal those things about who Christ is and what he's accomplished. Verse 14. But the natural, non-spiritual man functioning in the flesh does not accept or welcome or admit into his heart because there's no room for Christ there in, in experiential areas of the flesh his heart, the gifts and teachings and revelations of the Spirit of God for they are folly, meaningless nonsense to him and he is incapable of knowing them of progressively notice that sanctification, growth and grace and truth Second Peter 3.18 areas of known obedience that we submit recognizing understanding, and becoming better acquainted with them because they are spiritually discerned, estimated, and truly appreciated. But the spiritual man tries all things. He examines, investigates, inquires into questions, not questions of doubt, but entreatability, and discerns all things, yet is himself to be put on trial and judged by no one meaning you don't come under that. You don't accuse or condemn those that do it. You just don't come under it. The only time we do is when we function in the flesh and make the battle flesh against flesh. To be put on trial and judged by no one. He can can read the meaning of everything. See, this goes into 1 John 2.27. We don't have any need, need that any man should teach us, men in the flesh and how they perceive us. But we have the Holy Spirit. And he knows all things, meaning he knows best about what, has, what Christ has accomplished to the Father and for us with all these benefits. He knows the meaning of everything, but no one can properly discern or appraise or get an insight into him, into us in Christ. For who has known or understood the mind, the counsels and purposes of the Lord so as to guide and instruct him and give him knowledge? but we have the mind of Christ when it says the mind of Christ this is the choice that we have at all time there's only there's only two two options really <laughs> i don't know if you can even say two but that brings out the reality of this and we turn and i'll just read there again in Romans the 8th chapter Romans chapter 8 You see, all these truths are available to all of who we are in Christ. But to the fully mature, the hungry, and the thirsty. Here's Romans 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation, no adjudging guilty of wrong for those who are in Christ Jesus. Period. The rest is is italicized, even in the Amplified, because if you study the Koine Greek New Testament, it is absolutely not in there. It isn't. For the law of the spirit of life, which is in Christ Jesus, the law of our new being, this is our image, has freed me from the law of sin and death. See, that's the flesh. We've been separated from it, the natural. We've been separated from it completely. For God has done what the law could not do, its power being weakened by the flesh, the entire nature of man without the Holy Spirit, sending his own son in the guise of sinful flesh which he never had a, a, a he never had a sin nature had a human nature and that's brought out in Hebrews 4 verse 15 he condemned sin in his body subdued listen to this everything about us every sin every impulse everything that the, fle- the natural wants in the enemy through a lie wants to bring into the flesh again the cloudy and muddy the proper image of us and who we are in Christ, and thus muddy the image of who God is and his love towards us. He subdued, overcame, and deprived it of its power. Do you see that? That's why it says in 1 John 2.1, My little children, see that you sin not. You do not have to sin. It's this submission of the will. See, because, because obedience has to do with the will. You see, obedience has to do with the will. And love is in the will. That's why God sent his son. His son. To fulfill all his will in John 4 and verse uh, 34. And to finish the work which he did in John 19 verse 30. But yet it was done in the eternal mind of God. Finished in Hebrews 4 and verse 3. Finished it. Because he was the lamb that was slain before any of anything was created in the eternal mind of God, Revelations 13, 8. So we see here that this very clearly, He he subdued, overcame, and deprived it of its power over all who accept that sacrifice. Now, do I accept it? The truth that Christ has already accomplished all of this. Do I actually receive it? Submit my will to it? Yes, then the flesh won't be active. It won't. See, obedience, submission to the will of God, submission keeps the activity of the flesh from entering into the experience. And then we function in God's active nature, which is love and keeps us very pure. Philippians 4, verse 8, Whatsoever things are true, honest, just, pure, lovely... If there be any praise, if there be any virtue, think on these things. They're pure. And so here we see again in verse 4 of Romans 8, so that the righteousness and just requirement of the law might be fully met in us. And he met far more than that. Jesus did far more. He just had to do away with the law to keep the flesh from activating so he could just give us the full increase that is far above the law. Far above anything had Adam not even fallen. Everything he had waiting for us was far above it all. Met in us who live, Christ is our life, and move not in the ways of the flesh, but in the ways of the Spirit. Our lives governed not by the standards and according to the dictates of the flesh, being a private interpreter, even of these precious truths that are ours. In Second Peter one twenty and 21, through the wisdom and opinion of what we think of what we are will manifest the flesh through the teaching of the word, God forbid, and that's brought out in, in in proverbs eight one two and you can look at verse three also, but not move in the ways of the flesh but in the ways of the spirit, our lives governed not by the standards and according to the dictates of the flesh, but controlled by the Holy Spirit. No man is in control, a master of himself. You cannot serve or worship two masters. You know, in the flesh, God forbid, so convicting to me personally, that God forbid that in the flesh, in ignorance of pride, that I should worship the lying enemy. God forbid, and he does in Galatians 6 and verse 14. It's the proof of the cross that has separated us from our old and separated us into the Son and brought us into a loving relationship through the purity of the light that his Son is, through the preaching and teaching of all that God has given us. And those are those tremendous benefits that we just read about in 1 Corinthians 2 and into 3. So we see this, that... But those who are according to the Spirit and are controlled by the desires of the Spirit. See this this laboring in this sense in Galatians 5 and verse 17. The flesh lusts against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh and these are contrary one to another so that you cannot do the things that you would. You want to do it. Why can't you? you? need to have the flesh dealt with through submission and through the preaching and teaching. See, declarative knowledge, it's good to know it first, but then it has to enter into the experience through life. So we come to learn those, those first three chapters of Ephesians. We come to learn the depth of those, the height of them. And then we go in, and then we go into the, in, into the world, into the field, with Christ in us and us in him, and we get, and then he works those things in us. Through trials in 1 Peter 1:7 1, in Job 23 in verse 10. Through hoopamony, all the circumstances and situations of that life that that that, that come into f- the world. They're not our life, though. No. Christ is our life in Colossians 3:4. And then macrothumia. And this is the lesson of patience and learning it in 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 4. Because love is enduring. It's impatient. It's patient and, and keeps love flowing in the patience. Keeps it flowing. And so what we see here is this. But those who are according to the Spirit and are controlled by the desires of the Spirit set their minds on and seek those things which gratify the Holy Spirit. Now, the mind of the flesh, which is is sense and reason without the Holy Spirit. See that? The mind of the flesh, which is sense and reason without the Holy Spirit. So where does the sense and reason come from in the flesh? We know that's the enemy. Remember, we're not, the, the flesh is in us, but we are not of it. Is death, Death that comprises all the miseries arising from sin, both here and hereafter, but the mind of the Holy Spirit is life, Christ, and peace. So, And why it says soul, peace here? It's because we're separated from self-conscious living into God-conscious living, the very mind of Christ. We'll see that in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 16. You see, very beautifully we have that peace now that Christ is in Ephesians two and verse 14, both now experientially and forever, that is because the mind of the flesh, with its carnal thoughts, carnal that's the flesh, active active in the Christian that they're not of, carnal thoughts and purposes is hostile to God, strong, settled. Unchanging thoughts and feelings again brought out in Genesis 6 and verse 5 and 8 and verse 21 of Genesis in Psalm 14, 1 to 3 and in Psalm 53, 1 through 3. Brought out clearly we see in Matthew 15, 16 to 20 and in Mark 7, 13 to 23. that That's not that that goes into a man that defiles him. It's that that comes out. And God is bringing out what defiles us so that his, we can, so he can make room for Christ in us, the place of his most intimate and affectionate love, so that we have that to exchange, not only with him personally, through our own uh, believer priesthood in Christ and our walk, but with each other. And so we see it again here very beautifully. That, that is because the mind of the flesh with its carnal thoughts and purposes is hostile to God, for it does not submit itself to God's law. What is God's law? The spirit of life in Christ Jesus is set us free. See, that's God's order. It's Christ. Everything else outside of that is, is what? In First Corinthians 14, For the For what? It's confusion, isn't it? God is not the author of confusion. But separated from that, the confusion of the flesh, life and peace, life and peace. And so we see very clearly here, very, very clearly, that it is, for it does not, the flesh does not submit itself to God's law, and indeed it cannot. That's why it's so important to submit our will. So then those who are living in the flesh, living the life of the flesh, catering to, to the appetites and impulses of their carnal nature, cannot please or satisfy God or be acceptable to to him. But you are not living the life of the flesh. You are living the life of the Spirit. If the Holy Spirit of God really dwells within you, This is experience now. Really dwells within you, directs and controls you because we do not have control over the flesh that's in us. We do not. We don't. But if anyone does not possess the Holy Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. He does not belong to Christ, is not truly a child of God. Brought out Romans 8, verse 14. But if Christ lives in you, then although your natural body is dead by reason of sin and guilt, the Spirit is alive, bringing in the life of Christ in you through the power that He is because of the righteousness that He, listen, that He imputes to you. And this is where we need to get into the proper teaching of everything has been imputed to us positionally. It's been put to our account, it's an accountant's term. The Greek word is logizomai, logizomai, or logizomai is the proper pronunciation of that Greek word, and it's put to our account, meaning the moment that I receive Christ, that he propitiated the Father, that he is the substitute, dealt with all my personal sins, instantly I'm reconciled to him positionally, instantly. That's imputation, that's position, that's place, that's proper image of how God sees us. In Job 36 and verse 7, he never removes his eye from the righteous because God's only sight of us is Christ. In 1 Corinthians 1.30, who is our righteousness. And so he never removes his eye. But we see this truth, this imputed positional truth has to be imparted to us so that our experience is the equal of God's sight of us in Christ. And Then, we no longer experientially give place to the devil, in Ephesians 4, verse 27. Never. And, and as we grow, as we grow in that, as we grow. So, but if Christ lives in you, if, and he does and you're born again, then although your natural body is dead by reason of sin and guilt, the Spirit is alive because of the righteousness that He imputes in you. And if the Spirit of Him who raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then He who raised up Christ from the dead will also restore life even to your your new body that He's going to give you. But He's fitting us out right now. The, through the impartation of what has been imputed to us. And impartation has to do with the preaching and teaching of Christ, who he is, without any flesh involved in it. To the pure, it says in Titus 1 verse 15, all things are pure. But to the unbelieving, those that can refuse things experientially in the flesh, even their conscience. Nothing is pure. Why? Because their conscience is defiled. Yeah, experientially through a lie in the flesh, but is our conscience defiled as far as God sees us in Christ? No, in, Romans, and in Hebrews 10, 1 and 2. Well, he's going to do that through his spirit who dwells in us. So then, brethren, in verse 12, we are debtors, but not to the flesh not to the flesh. We are not obligated to our carnal nature to live a life, to live a life ruled by the standards set up by the dictates of the flesh. You see, most of all, I need to be very careful in all the purity of who Christ is, that when the word comes out, there's no flesh mixed with it. Before, during, or after, ever. Because you're teaching half-truths when you mix the flesh, or when I would mix the flesh with the precious things of Christ, and then I'm teaching others that it's okay to do so. It's not okay with his love for us. We are not his enemy. We are his beloved. Because we are, he measures us by the same measurement that he measures his son. Oh my God, Ephesians 1 says, we are accepted in the beloved. Do you know what that means? We are the beloved. And God is removing and shaking things in us in Hebrews 12, 25 through 29, that that can be shaken. That's the flesh. So that the things that remain experientially cannot be shaken. Cannot be shaken. So then we are, brethren, we're not dead as to the flesh. No, we're not obligated to that carnal nature to live a life ruled by standards set up by the dictates of the flesh. Someone says, this is who I am. You have, and we need to teach them in all purity, without condemnation, without, without accusatory uh, tones of any kind. No, that is not who you are. It is not who you are. You don't bring the flesh into who you are in Christ and then have a desire for that to be accepted. It's not who you are. No, that's already gone. Old things are not in the process of passing away. They already are passed away, past tense, so that we live in a present active participle of life and truth being imparted to us based upon what's been imputed to us in Christ. And so finally, in Ephesians 5, and we'll stop with this, In Ephesians 5, verse 1, he says, Therefore, now, be imitators of God. Copy him and follow his example. As what? Well, beloved children, imitate their father and walk in love. Not in the flesh, but walk in love, esteeming and delighting in one another as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a slain offering and sacrifice to God for you so that it became a sweet fragrance. You see, even our prayers when we're submitted to him, when we give ourselves over to prayer and to the ministry of the word in Acts 6 verse 4, he takes those prayers in Revelation 5 and verse 8 and he puts them, holds them all in a vase and they go up to him as a sweet savor because Christ himself is the purity of those prayers and the purity of who we are, one with him as they go up to him as a sweet odor. And so we see that. But immorality, sexual vice, never before has it ever been more of a temptation to men, to Christian men, to pastors. Yes, to pastors and teachers. None of us will be on temptation. I'm going to make that clear. None of us. Blessed is the man that endures temptation. Because God tries us. Which one will it be? Who do you want to manifest? And all impurity, that's every area of the flesh, of lustful, rich, wasteful living, Or greediness must not even be named among you as is fitting and proper among saints, those that are separated. God's consecrated people. Let there be no filthiness, obscenity, indecency, nor foolish and sinful, silly and corrupt talk. That is considered filthy. There's no purity involved in it. Nor coarse jesting. Ah, we know who that person is. Well, how do you know them? How do they want you to know them? And should you know them how they want to know? They want you to know themselves because they might know themselves after the flesh and think that that's some kind of a supply for any of us? Oh, and that's very personal with each of us, by the way. Well, no. No. Coarse jesting, which are not fitting. They're not a fit place in Christ. They're in competition with Christ. Any area of the flesh that's not dealt with is still competing against Christ, God's love and intimate desire in us, and it's a and going against the power of the Holy Spirit from bringing in the reality through the impartation of preaching and teaching who Christ has been to us, imputed to us in our position, which aren't fitting or becoming. But instead, listen, in place, voice your thankfulness to God. Now I'm functioning in love, not the flesh. For be sure of this, that no person practicing sexual vice is a practice or impurity in thought or in life, or one who is covetous, Exodus 20, verse 17, who has lustful desire for the property of others and greedy for gain. And that can even, some can even think, because they haven't been taught certain things from the Word of God, and they don't have it in their flesh, they become greedy for that. Meaning they want it from that person without them to take it and consume it on the, on the lust of the flesh. Not very good. And so God has a separating process, even about who he separates us from, and the protection of his love, through, through the purity of light that Christ is in us. And so as we wrap this up, this morning, for he, Ephesians 5.5, 5, he, in effect, is an idolater. That's what it says. See, who we are in Christ, the position about who we are in Christ in 1 John 5.20 is brought out. And that's why in 1 John 5.20, my little children, keep yourselves from what? Idols. And where do they manifest themselves? The flesh that's in us, but that we're not of. Very precise. So, has any inheritance, experientially, in the kingdom of, of his rule, the rule of Christ and of God? Now here's verse 6. Let no one delude and deceive you with empty what excuses. There's no excuse that God ever gives us for the flesh. He is not going to excuse it in me because that's the thing that competes against his love for me through Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I don't and I know I don't want to lift up Christ there. I want to lift up myself. And and we can do that even with knowledge. And that's going to be brought out at a different time. I think today's Thursday. Okay, we'll have to bring that out at a different time, but that brings in 1 Corinthians 8, 1 to 3. Knowledge puffs up without proper experience, but love, self-sacrificial love, edifies. And if a man thinks he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. And so, as we close, let no man deceive delude and deceive you with empty excuses Christ in John 15 has done away with every cloak every excuse there's no excuse for the flesh and God does not excuse it in his deep love for us he doesn't excuse it and neither are we to make excuses for it we're, none of us are and yes we're all growing and yes it is capacity yes it is it's all of those things it's all of those. But for, for God's glory and for their sake and love, preaching the truth and love, we need to teach. But we can't if we're functioning in those areas. All we're going to do is, is, is teach them in the limitation of our own growth experientially, how they should live in the flesh still. Well, with empty excuses and in, in the excuse, remember, you know what the excuse is in John 15, 22, and 23? The excuse, the cloak is, through, whether through ignorance or pride and stubbornness, and that's brought out in 1 first, first Samuel 15, uh, 22. God is not interested in sacrifices. He's not interested in the sacrifices of the flesh. No. Nope. No, he's not interested in that. But obedience, you see it right there. And obedience, receiving his love, keeps out the witchcraft, which is rebellion, and the stubbornness, which is idolatry in the thought life. Again, flesh is in us, in Romans 8, 9, but we're not of it. So, let no one delude or, or, deceive, or, or, or deceive you. Now, 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 22, Jesus Christ did away with all ex- all excuses, all cloaks, because the cloak is used by the enemy to cover the true hatred. Because, they both have seen both me, hated both me and my father. they seen both me and my father and hated both me and the father. That's 1523 of John. That's the excuse the enemy gives us to live in the flesh. Because I didn't say it, the Bible did. The flesh is strong, settled feelings, thoughts and feelings of hatred, unchangeable toward God and toward Christ in us, in Romans 8, 7. So they that live in the flesh, a minding of the flesh, cannot experience the pleasure that God's love has given them through Christ. Them individually. So here it is. So we'll close it. Let no one delude and deceive you with empty excuses and groundless arguments. Excuses why I can't do it and don't do it. For these sins, see, for through these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of rebellion and disobedience. So do not and he's telling us this is not who you are. I will God will deal with us in chastisement, in in Proverbs three eleven and twelve, and Prov and in, in Hebrews twelve four to twenty nine, and He chastens us when we don't live in discernment through a broken and submitted will so that the love life of Christ flows in us, he chastens us so that we are not in conviction, in conviction is God chastening us, first step of grace, so that we're not condemned with the world in First Corinthians eleven thirty one and 32. So don't, do not associate or be sharers with him. Meaning, I may love another brother in the Lord, but if he's functioning in the flesh, is there fellowship? Is there fellowship? And there's not. There's no fellowship in the flesh. There's none for any of us. For verse 8 says this, For once you were darkness. You didn't know who you were, what you were about, where you were going, didn't matter. You lived from moment to moment and tried to escape that darkness through everything the enemy would give you. But of course, we know the thief came to steal, kill, and destroy, but Christ came to give us life individually and have it abundantly with each other, In the abundance of that. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the the Lord. Walk as children of the light. Lead the lives of those native-born to the light. Father, thank you so much for the depth of your love for us, how much you so love us. Thank you for your precise, loving counsel. You lovingly convict us so that we don't live in that condemnation that's been separated from us in Christ positionally in Romans 8 1, so that it doesn't enter into us through the flesh in Romans 8 4 through 8. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.